On this week's episode of Where We Are, Melissa and I have the conversation you've been waiting for. We're going to talk Christian nationalism. You're listening to Where We Are. Hello, friends. You're listening to Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And Melissa, I feel like we've avoided this episode. We have specifically, like, for a long time, intentionally avoided this episode. But the time has come. Uh, it is here, as Lizzo would say. Yeah, and so but we don't swear on this, so. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so we're going to talk Christian nationalism. Yeah. Uh, but before we dive in, we're in the middle of a date night, and uh, unlike bo- most times <laughs> that we record the podcast, our date night does not j- simply consi- consist of recording this podcast. Yes. We went out to dinner. We did. We, we had, went out on the town. Yeah, we had a really, really good dinner tonight. We had it with friends. New Syrian uh, restaurant yeah. in, Baltimore. in Baltimore that was delicious. It's only been open for a month, uh, and it was it was fantastic. Yeah, we went with a friend who is Syrian herself, and um, she brought another friend along, and we just ordered delicious things, and it was so good. Yeah, and since we were with Syrians, I mean, we got hooked up. It was, <laughs> yes. it was we got preferential treatment, which was via... Our Syrian homie. Uh, so thank you, uh, Naga, for, for that. Uh, Melissa, anything else you want to cover before we... I mean, we've delayed this so long, yeah, this, doing this episode. I feel like maybe we should just jump in. But any anything else that's, that you want to cover before we get to the topic at hand? It's on my mind. Um, I think, not to cut you okay, off. Okay, yes, please. Y'all, the survey responses, like, helpful, beautiful, touching, thank you. I mean, we received a ton of responses mm-hmm. to the survey. We've been so moved reading them. It, it will help us uh, provide you with what you're looking to hear in the coming months. But, but mostly, like, y'all are just beautiful people. And so I uh, want to thank you for, for filling out the survey and, and helping us out in that way. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, have had a lot of fun this past week reading through them all. Yeah. Melissa, do we do we have a winner yet of the... No, I'm going to pick... I'm going to put it... There's this like website where you can put everybody's name in a random name generator, and I'll spin the wheel and see, see who gets it okay. all tomorrow. Right. Okay, Melissa, anything else you want to touch on? No, we cannot delay this further. All right, let's get to Christian nationalism. Here's the thing. Um, you're, we're going to try not to just rant for 45 yeah. minutes, but this is also going to be like uh, one of those episodes that is especially a window into our conversations at home. Yeah. Um, I do... Uh, one reason it won't just be a rant is because so many of you on Instagram, on Twitter, provided like the most helpful questions. Um, and so we'll try to address as many of the questions uh, as as we can. And thank you for that. And just before we jump in, I also just 
want to say thank you to those of you who have uh, rated this podcast on iTunes, uh, for those of you who subscribe to the newsletter at reclaiminghope.substack.com. We have some new subscribers this week. It's such an encouragement. It helps us uh, make sure that we uh, are able to carve out the time to do this work. Um, And so uh, thank you for that and would encourage you to uh, rate the pod, share it with friends if you haven't done so already. Again, it just kind of uh, it helps us to, to grow this thing and, and reach more more people. All right, Melissa, Christian nationalism. I, I want you to tee up the conversation. You you have a lot to say. I have a lot to say. I, but let's set the stage a bit. What what is this conversation about? Oh, it seems like it's about a lot of things, that there are a lot of varying interests at play here as to what it is and how it's defined, how it's funded, um, how it will be used based on what people are studying and how they're defining it and how it should be you know, fought against. So there is a lot of competing interests with Christian nationalism, as there has been with ideologies in the past that have been connected to some form of violence or terrorism. So since January 6th of 2021, um, the conversation around Christian nationalism has increased. Like, I agree with anybody there who says that, but Christian nationalism has been around for quite a long time. Um, And part of the conversations is, uh, part of the problems that we have had is that, like, no, this is not a brand new thing. Wait, 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 wait. Let's start with what? What is Christian nationalism? Yes, because that is one of the questions that we received a a few times um, from folks. And we thought, because there is no set definition, kind of like there is no set definition of like terrorism. Um, So we're constantly dealing with sort of, we're just constantly dealing with different definitions. So we we wanted to... I just want to, it's so important to set this up properly. So like, yes, in the academic sense, quote, like there is no set definition like terrorism, but terrorism is a term itself that has been contested both academically yes. and popularly yes. at the popular level for a very, very, very yes. long time. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, the t- Christian nationalism at the popular level, mm-hmm. you will not find a major mainstream survey on the topic before 2015. Yep. Which tells you something. We'll talk more about that. By the way, yeah, I was about to... Get into it. I was about to get into it. Let's... So so that's important to say. But Melissa, how... What are some of the... What's a popular definition... Or I should say, a, a academic definition that's been teased out uh, over the last few years. Yes. Yeah, so for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to just choose one of the definitions, and this one comes from the book "Taking Back America Back for God: Christian Nationalism in the United States" by Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry, both are sociologists. And Christian nationalism is a cultural framework that idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. 
Christian nationalism contends that America has been and should always be distinctively Christian from top to bottom in its self-identity, interpretations of its own history, sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies, and it aims to keep it that way. But the Christian and Christian nationalism is more about identity than religion. It carries with with it assumptions about nativism, white supremacy, authoritarianism, patriarchy, and militarism. There's a lot there. Um, and there's a lot to discuss. And again, this is just one definition. Michael, do you want to react to that so far? Yeah. Can you re reread it and slowly, j- just so just so folks can pr- can process yes process it. Christian nationalism is a cultural framework that idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. Christian nationalism contends that America has been and should always be distinctively Christian from top to bottom. That's in its self-identity, interpretations of its own history, sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies, and it aims to keep it that way. But the Christian in Christian nationalism is more about identity than religion. It carries with it assumptions about nativism, white supremacy, authoritarianism, patriarchy, and militarism. Okay. So, you know, so I, um, so this, a, a few things. This conversation in its current form is inextricable from Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. The political and sociological and religious fallout of Donald Trump, both at a cultural level, and I think this is really important, at a personal level. Like, um, this, this conversation helps to answer questions that people have, not just about what's happening in our politics, but to help people make sense of uh, uh, personal experiences that they've had and their personal processing of what is what has happened uh, politically. Mm-hmm. How did Donald Trump get elected? Um, how did white evangelicals come to support a man like Donald Trump who was on the cover of Playboy and uh, the billionaire and materialist and uh, uh, vulgar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, that, so, so that, would be, that would be one thing. The second thing I just say is um, this conversation is emblematic of the increasingly rapid transmission of academic conversations mm-hmm. into public mm-hmm. discourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas um, it used to take decades for academic concepts like this to develop, be refined. Mm-hmm. 
and then if they ever got out of academia, it would take a long time for them to penetrate popular discourse. We now see, and this for many reasons, this is because of the increasingly open nature of social media platforms and news outlets. This is because so much, uh, 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 such a high percentage of the population is uh, college educated. Um, uh, so uh, these conversations that are developed by academics and hammered out by academics make it to the public stage much, much more quickly than they used to so that now they basically are parallel tracks. The academic refinement happens in conversation with the public receiving and processing these ideas in a way that is, I, I think, um, somewhat novel. And so th those would be two sort of context-setting things, I would say, in relation to that, that definition and, and just to Christian nationalism generally. A, this yeah. is a conversation that in its current sort of referring to the term Christian nationalism is inextricable from Donald Trump. And then number two, it's a academic conversation that has made its way into public life as the academic conversation is developing and as definitions are being developed and, and tweaked and that kind of thing. And one of the problems, and I mean, we'll, we'll get into this, but one of the problems that stems from that, from this going from an academic to a public conversation, is that uh, it's very, you know, and even in the, in, you know, the definitions that I just read that come out of Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry's um, framework from their 2020 book, you know, it says that the Christian and Christian nationalism is more about identity than religion. That's actually really hard to parse out and to constantly keep reminding the general public of that aspect. And yet it is huge to the entire enchilada. I mean, a pivotal aspect of what we're talking about here. Because when it comes to um, the now decade of discourse, the couple decades of discourse that we've had on terrorism and then further into um, what has been known as, uh, you know, Islamic extremism. Part of the problem with that whole area of scholarship was that for the longest time, scholars emphasized that Islamic ter uh, terrorism or Islamic extremism always came out of the religion was the starting point, And then the ideology came after when scholars over the last just few years have actually discovered, oh, you know, who would have thought that actually religion is just a tool or a channel through which you actually perpetrate your ideology, that it's not the actual religion itself that's the problem. And like Perry and Whitehead are very careful to also say that this is what we have found so far as well, but to actually keep that as part of what the general public thinks when they hear Christian nationalism, what it's doing, and that you know a certain percentage of um, Christians in this nation, are, you know, it's getting higher and people actually identify with this and, oh no, that this jump from the actual ideology, but you know, beyond like the whole religion aspect of it, and how much does it actually influence, and how much of it a tool or a driver of it is, is it is hugely important. Is that 
jumping from the ideology to actual violence or actual action, there is a spectrum, again, that Whitehead, Perry, and then Perry and Gorski do in their book from this past year, are very clear that there's a spectrum. But to actually communicate that there's a spectrum, that if someone were to say, yes, I, I ascend to the, you know, the few things of like, you know, the success of the United States is part of God's plan and the federal government should, you know, advocate Christian values. Yes, I agree with that. To jump from like, oh, you're a Christian nationalist to like, oh, you're an actual violent extremist. There's like a, there is a chasm there. And yet people are easily walking across that bridge yeah. and conflating the two. So there's, there's, there's that, that comes, you know, that comes out of there. And I have one other thing to say, but Michael, you. Yeah, no, no. So I just want to, again, sort of step, step back and just. the So Melissa, how would you. Well, I'll sort of state my my opinion and sort of ask you to mm-hmm. react, which is um, you, you know, how does um, what is the traction here? Mm-hmm. what is what what is the good faith concern about Christian nationalism? And you know, I think it springs from. Uh, January 6th, mm-hmm. I think Charlottesville, mm-hmm. this rise of... Actual instances of violence. This rise of um, of, of violence and right-wing vitriol, and it is politically... It is coded in a partisan... Yes. The concern is directly related to... to uh, something that relates to the the, the partisan spectrum. Yes. Um, I think that is where the heart of the concern comes from when people talk about why we need to care about Christian nationalism. That is what they refer to first. That is sort of the 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 the, the tip of the spear. Now, I think if you talk to some of the groups that are um, advocating using Christian nationalism, uh, advocating against Christian nationalism, then you get a more diffuse range of concerns Mm -hmm. that are often selectively conflated, selectively sort of included in why Christian nationalism is bad in some cases, and then left off when it's sort of politically convenient. So mm-hmm. you have a lot of folks who would say Christian nationalism is is um, is uh, bad because of its policy impacts on abortion, on LGBT rights, on immigration, on so so there's this sort of policy mm-hmm. approach um, on on social issues in particular. Um, uh, you have people who would say, well, Christian nationalism is, um, uh, uh, we need to be concerned about Christian nationalism because it drives uh, xenophobic views. It, it it drives sort of antisocial behavior. Mm-hmm. So that's another bucket. Yep. You have people who would say Christian nationalism is bad because faith and religion has no place in politics uh, and no place in civic life so to put 
Christianity and the nation together um, is inherently a negative thing. Th there are other sort of sort of reasons. Um, so I have I have some points related to that, but am I missing anything there? I, why why do you think? Is there any any other reason why this conversation has become has become salient? Now I didn't mention I mentioned the antisocial stuff again. I also think that a lot of this is personal. I think a lot of well, this okay. is people trying yeah. to come to terms with uh, their their uncle uh, having uh, being sort of uh, consumed with with. Uh, politics and saying weird going to a weird church and 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 trying to make sense of all that but yeah what what would you say a couple points here so just to that very last point there you're saying it's not just personal on that level on the sort of popular public level it's also personal on the scholarship level which is also mm. one of the troubling things for me because i've been in the violent extremism space for a very long time now and i've read a lot of literature folks i've read stuff on drug warfare, gang warfare, violent extremism of all kinds of, from all kinds of ideologies, from various contexts that are very localized throughout the world. Um, and specifically in Christian nationalism, um, especially more modern um, writings on Christian nationalism, I look at the background of a lot of the scholars, and I'm not even, like, I'm not going to pinpoint any scholar right now because I'm, I'm just saying this broadly, that um, I think too many are coming from backgrounds in which they're carrying too much emotional baggage into their scholarship. And I think that we need more scholars on this if we do agree that this is something we need to be looking into. And I would agree it is because we know that Christian nationalism is a real thing because it's been around for a while. It's been called a few different things. Like the Ku Klux Klan is a white... No, I want to stop you. Yeah. I want to stop you there because um, the conversation is the conversation and i think this is really important that the um there are threads of this that are not new yes. and there are aspects of the conversation that are uh really reminiscent of previous debates but i do want to um uh i um uh, because the definitions are so unsettled in mm -hmm. my view and because mm -hmm. I think it's really hard to draw to draw a single line between what you might refer to now looking back as Christian nationalism in one context to what people are talking about now. I just wanna I just wanna I just wanna state my my discomfort with the idea of saying uh like, this is not new. It's like, yeah, it's not new in some ways. It oh, is new in some ways. But the way. way that it's being talked about now and framed is new. But like I was just about to mention, the Ku Klux Klan in, historically has been called white Christian nationalists. It's also been called, you know, just plain white supremacists. It's been called Christofascists. Like, it's been called, but it has been called white Christian nationalists. So, like, you you know, it has existed in the past, like exactly what you're saying. But the con And that's why I say with, like, the scholarship in particular, I want it to improve. There are way too many scholars who have discovered, again, like I said, in the past few years, they've looked at the pitfalls of what Islamic, of what defining Islamic extremism as and how they defined how people um, would sort of be radicalized or de-radicalized. 
They have seen the pitfalls of all that scholarship and the damage that it has done to Muslim communities around the world. And a lot are sort of backtracking, going back and relooking at like exact and having to contextualize very, very specifically to the nuances of various communities to say, okay, say exactly what do we mean by this? How does this actually happen? And oh, have discovered that most of the time it's not actually the religion that's driving it. It's other factors. It's other other ideologies that are driving it. It's just that the religion is like an easy channel or vehicle to drive the car. Yeah, I think this point that... um that to take the core of the problem seriously, uh, to take sort of uh, violent Christian nationalism seriously, the problem of January 6th, the problem of Charlottesville, um, you're going to be, it's going to be a multidisciplinary conversation. I think that's absolutely absolutely crucial and yet for an array of political uh religious sociological reasons the christian nationalism has become a vehicle for playing out a whole wide broad array of conversations and interests and motives that I I think has been not just missing the mark, but I think counterproductive. Yeah, and this is really, really important because it seems like, to, to that point, it seems like to me, and this is like one of the reasons why I finally wanted to have this episode, is that I wanted things to get further along just to see where things were going, where the conversation was going, like the different studies and surveys coming out. And how are they being framed before I started, you know, coming up with like critiques or solutions or whatever, is that I'm seeing a lot of the challenges and pitfalls of the violent extremism scholarship around Islamic terrorism and the damage that it did being repeated again, as if no lessons were learned there. And this matters because Christians don't just exist in the United States. Even if in this country, Christians are the majority Um, And when you're talking about Islamic extremism, the damage it does, it was happening to a religious minority in this country, which is, you know, adds a whole layer of um, trouble to the issue. But Christians exist elsewhere in the world as a minority. And if we are defining things in this way and approaching things in this way, it's it's not it. (laughs) It doesn't bode well for the conversations happening around the world, especially if this particular American brand of ideology doesn't exist there. And if we I are think repeating, that's a critical point, Melissa. If we are repeating the mistakes of putting putting um, a ton of people through, you know, single national surveys into one basket, demonizing, you know, calling them all violent, you know, t- crossing that bridge very quickly from ideology to violence, it matters for people outside of the United States. Um, it just doesn't. It just. It doesn't just matter here because there is a very as it's being defined right now. It's very American what we're talking about. It doesn't mean that it's elsewhere showing up in the exact same ways. Um, and of course, other religions are having nationalism type problems, are having similar problems, but they're different religions and they're in different countries and different contexts. And I can get into that further with another problem that I'm seeing here when it comes to large-scale studies and the context of specific communities and specific groups 
but I, I don't have to yet. If, Michael, you'd like to respond right now, but I could. No, no, no. Make the point. Yeah. Okay. So the best studies that I have ever seen on violent extremism have always been small and usually qualitative, meaning that a group or scholars, whomever is you know, funded to study it, are going into actual communities and spending time there and learning exactly what is defining the people in those communities who are, you know, radicalizing towards violence and not just sort of holding extreme views. There's a difference between holding an extreme view because we can define extreme in all kinds of ways that are convenient to us, but actually looking at those who would radicalize towards violent ends. So that's an important point. And spending time with those communities because it's actually quite amazing. You can go from city to city, town to town, and talk to folks who do have a common language where there are strands that run through them, like say like your typical like neo-Nazi group in the United States or in Europe, where there are things that tie them together across a country or across a region. But if you go into these if you go into a locality, you will find that people are radicalizing or joining groups or joining an ideology for very different reasons because of their life experiences or, uh, you know, mental health issues, like all kinds of stuff. I mean, you name it. And people can be attracted to things in all sorts of ways. And the best studies have actually been really localized and contextualized to actually understand why people in, I don't know, name, you know, I, I did a lot of work in Belgium, you know, uh, for, for people who were radicalizing there towards ISIL um, back a few years ago. So like in Antwerp or just north of like Brussels, like why were people attracted in these communities to these particular things? In one community, there was like a masculinity thing running through the various men that were joining and becoming foreign fighters, which is just so interesting because in other, in other groups, that just was not the thing. Right. Um, so, so we have to, yeah. so like these cross national surveys where it's like, you know, a bunch of questions and questions that actually haven't been asked for too many years in a row. So we don't actually have ah, longevity to it. Yes. And to ask it across the country, I actually don't find those types of surveys to be helpful at all at this point. Yeah. We need qualitative on the ground research, whether it's a journalist or a scholar, like we need you on the ground looking into why people are attracted to these things, what is actually leading them towards violence versus just holding certain views. And when you talk to people, this is why focus groups work as well sometimes. When you talk to people, when you ask these basic questions that defi- that are defining Christian nationalism for a lot of different groups that are studying this right now, if you ask deeper questions beyond those like, you know, should, uh, should the federal government be informed by Christian values, you start asking some questions under that, you will get a bit deeper into what that actually means for the person that you're asking. Yeah. Versus just saying, okay, that's a Christian nationalist view. That person is a Christian nationalist. And it's like, yeah. Eh. So, Melissa, um, wanna, I'm going to ask you to pull up some of the questions that we've received. Yes. But just, uh, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is that maybe it's not a great idea to do a national survey of your made-up academic definition of Christian nationalism that consists of five questions. Uh, ask Americans who aren't familiar with any of the t- with a lot of the terminology that you use might not 
connect the ideas that you're asking them about to politics at all, Mm -hmm. and then issue press releases saying that a third of Americans are Christian nationalists. It sounds like you're saying that might not be the most fruitful, beneficial approach to this conversation. Uh, And yet, that is what the folks at the Public Religion Research Institute have have done and this is a this is one of the reasons why we're doing the the podcast now as melissa said sort of allowing this conversation to develop i mean i think important context here is my entire professional career has has uh focused has been in opposition to to the individuals organizations that constitute uh, what's now being described as Christian nationalism was uh, has also been described as the religious uh, the religious right or the moral majority or that's been my career. So I'm I'm very not just involved and in sort of observing as a expert. I've been sort of in the trenches on on this stuff and. I think that there are a lot of critiques and issues bound up in the Christian nationalism conversation that do address real problems. Problems that I think are better, some of which are problems which I think are better handled separate and apart from the Christian nationalism conversation. But like you, Melissa, I kind of wanted to see how this all played out. That kind of changed for me with this PRRI study. And again, just a caveat I know I, I, I've I've known a lot of the folks at PRI for for over a decade. I think so many of the so much of the work they've done is valuable. I think um, I've gained and learned from their work, including on this issue. I do think this l- latest study that they've put out in in partnership with Brookings is uh, shoddy in its construction and not just misleading and not just unhelpful, but counterproductive and actually reinforces and supports some of the uh, impulses that a lot of people aligned with this conversation want to oppose and Undermine. I actually think the effects of research constructed like this and communicated like this actually supports some of the uh, negative impulses that are associated with Christian nationalism and that are also just negative in our politics, in my view, generally. Let me just walk you through this study a bit. So, and again, I just I just have uh, uh, folks who listen to this podcast know I'm I'm usually um, try and be very uh, uh, you know on this hand on that hand. Um, this is a study constructed to achieve headlines and to serve political purposes of allied advocacy organizations. That's that's like. Um, 
like at least data for progress releases uh, polls that are bad for their candidates. This is um, this research struck me as more activist than than data for progress, and so that that's like my that's my position on, on this thing. That how they measure Christian nationalism, uh, a battery of five questions that they say are about the relationship between Christianity, American identity, and the U.S. government. Respondents were asked whether they completely agree, mostly agree, mostly disagree, or completely disagree with each of the following statements. Here are the statements. The U.S. government should declare America a Christian nation. Two, U.S. laws should be based on Christian values. Three, if the U.S. moves away from our Christian foundations, we will not have a country anymore. Four, being Christian is an important part of being truly American. Five, God has called Christians to exercise dominion over all areas of American society. Um, the, the through line of my critique of these questions um, is how profoundly up for debate the implications, what, what is entailed by believing or saying you believe to any of these any of these statements. I have specific critiques of, of specific questions. The use of the word dominion comes with a whole lot of theological implications. There is no alternative to dominion offered. It's really weird not to choose a more broadly understood term like influence. Now, dominion has a specific meaning in specific traditions, and yet this survey doesn't give us any good information that the people answering the question know what dominion is <laughs> and, and understand that background. Uh, me, several of these questions come with sort of academic understandings that people answering, likely many of the people answering likely do not have or share the same understanding. And so there's a way in which this research strikes me as incredibly classist and um, uh, 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 and and problematic in that way. So so those are the five questions that PRI asks to determine who's a Christian nationalist. Well, what did they find? Um, they found that, 10% of Americans are what they term, and again, this is all made up. Like, like this is a, and, and by that I mean, like, of course, all research is constructed by the researchers. It's just really important. Like, this is, um, as Melissa said, these are not, this is not based on a standard that has been applied in public survey research over the last 30 years and mm -hmm. there are all of these benchmarks. Yep. No, PRI is making this up with advisors, whatever, but they are going to issue press releases and people are going to be acting on information that uh, that what they say is Christian nationalism is Christian nationalism and Christian nationalism 
has the connotations that it has due in part to the way PRI wants to frame it and the way that advocacy groups and those funding PRI's research want to frame it. So uh, they found 10% of Americans uh, uh, are Christian nationalists, uh, Christian nationalist adherents. Now it's important. Uh, what PRI terms Christian nationalists is not equivalent to Christian nationalist adherents. Weird, right? Like that's very confusing. Almost, you would think, like intentionally so. Um, we'll explain how that comes to be. Um, but 10% are Christian nationalism adherents. These are Americans who overwhelmingly either, either agree or completely agree with the statement in the scale. L let me give you an example of what this means. So again, there are only five questions. So what makes you part of the 10% of Christian nationalists is that you either completely agree or mostly agree with these five statements, which again, uh, who knows what the people answering them actually think they're answering to or about or what the implications are. So what this means is, um, so 75% of Christian nationalist adherents completely agree with the uh, statement that the U.S. government should declare America a Christian nation. Okay, that seems, that's three quarters of this group of 10% Americans. 50%, uh, 50% of Christian nationalist adherents uh, uh, say that God has called Christians to exercise dominion over all areas of American society. In other words, only 50% of Christian nationalist adherents completely agree to one of the five questions that makes them a Christian nationalist. 35% of Christian nationalist adherents say that they mostly agree with that statement. Uh, we don't have, as far as I could see, we don't have much information through any of this of what the mostly agree uh, like what the substance of their disagreement is. We just know that they mostly agree. Okay, mostly agree to what? Um, so that's the Christian nationalist adherence. Now that's 10% of the population. What's interesting is Pew uh, relatively recently did a survey that touched on Christian nationalism, found 10% of Americans are sympathetic to Christian nationalist ideas. Um, so you would think, okay, well, this is this shows cons at least consistency, 10%. Well, PRI didn't want to release research. They didn't want to have uh, press releases and articles written that said, like Pew, 10% of Americans are Christian nationalists. So what did they do? They created a category called Christian nationalist sympathizers. Well, what are Christian nationalist sympathizers? who they, they call in their research Christian nationalists, though they aren't Christian nationalist adherents. They're Christian nationalist sympathizers. And what distinguishes the sympathizers from the adherents is that a majority of these Americans, uh, 19%, so 19% of Americans are Christian nationalist sympathizers, uh, a majority of these Americans agree, in a, I can't emphasize enough, it's only in a, 
It's only a majority of this group. So only a majority of the Christian nationalist sympathizers who PRI calls Christian nationalists, that religion news service called Christian nationalists, a majority of the group categorized as Christian nationalists, <laughs> as the sympathizers, a majority, which means they could be 51%, whatever. A majority of these Americans agree with the statements in the scale, but they are less likely than adherents to completely agree. This group includes 19% uh, of Americans. Uh, I believe uh, elsewhere in the survey, I think they say um, uh, for Christian sympathizers, they had to have, and now that I say this, well, I, I, I don't want to, I'll, I'll just say this looks, what the website currently says, what the report currently says is a majority of these Americans agree with the statements in the scale, but they are less likely than adherents to completely agree. Um, uh, if I recall from other aspects uh, of the research uh, th that I read at one point, and it may, it may still be on this page, is that it's a ma the, the Christian nationalist sympathizers uh, include it's, it's a majority of this group agree with a majority of the statements. So they, so they might like disagree with several of the five questions, but PRI is still going to call them Christian nationalists. And so what does this look like for this group? So for the, sympath for the sympathizers, only 7% completely agree that God has called Christians to exercise dominion over all areas of society. Only 11%, this is incredible, only 11% completely agree that being Christian is an important part of being truly American. Uh, only 17%, only 17% of this Christian nationalist group say that U.S. laws should be based on Christian values. It's it's just it's it's just malpractice in in my view. And again, if you talk to the if you talk to the academics, the good ones will have all as Melissa as you said, the good ones will have all of these caveats. Well, it's it, it actually when you dig in, it's um, uh, it's not clear, or even it seems that. Uh, political ideology is driving the cart, not theological tenets. Mm -hmm. um, it seems as though um, it seems as though uh, uh, you know th this. This is not a. Um, it's unclear where those we would categorize as Christian nationalists are. Uh, getting their ideology is it from mm -hmm. church or yeah, is I it from know, other sources so so all these um the the academics are careful uh, the 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 good ones are but i, I will say a, a couple things um some of them speak at events that are, you know, the framing of the event is like defeating the evils of Christian nationalism. And yeah, like on the panel, they say, well, this is like really complicated, but, but they're, they're providing legitimacy to uh, political uses 
for their research that they themselves <laughs> don't don't uh, believe are consistent with the findings of their own research. So there has to be like some like accountability responsibility for for that. Like there has to be some. And then I just say generally there has to be um, a cognizance among journalists, among researchers among civic leaders who are talking about this, that even if you mean these things in a very narrow, prescriptive, uh, defined way, that if you're promoting headlines that are, you know, a third of Americans are Christian nationalists and the pictures for the article show the events of January 6th, then the average reader is going to say, a third of Americans, and I'm saying a third because the Religion News Service article that went up on this said it was a third, even though the article uh, was clear it was 29%. Uh, uh, that's a whole other thing. But 29% of Americans, uh, people are going to think, 29% of Americans I mean. could have been there on the day of January 6th. That's what 6th I mean about crossing the bridge and it's from the ideology to the violence, which there it matters when we talk about these things. But when you take academia to you know, broad strategic communications, it's, just, it's, it's difficult to do on literally any subject, going from academic language to broad public language. The last thing I want to mention, just in terms of studies and how we study this, it struck me while you were talking, Michael, of because I was trying to think through, is there a study out there that was trying to create new terms or new topologies? And by topologies, I mean um, new ways of categorizing people. And the one study that I thought of came out in 2018 from More in Common Research, and it's called The Hidden Tribes of America. And this research took both qualitative and quantitative um, did those types of exercises. So they did surveys. They actually talked to people on the ground, focus groups, that sort of thing. And they were able to create, you know, these groups of people of um, along political ideology. So, you know, nothing to do with the subject at hand. I'm just talking about the Hidden Tribes of America study strikes me as a very, very good model for when you're trying to sort of create something new in a new space or a new way of thinking about an old space. Um, either of those things. Um, when there's a paradigm shift, like how do you actually do it well? The Hidden Tribes of America, I would point people to that where I think it's done well. It was a year-long study actually talking to people beyond just, you know, wrote survey questions and actually digging in deeper so that when you come up with these new categories of people, you have real robust evidence as to why you can categorize them this way and why you feel like generally these people feel this way about this sort of thing or tend to think this thing. Well, um, and I mean, but just, that takes a lot of funding. And the, the last thing yeah. I want to say on this is that on Christian nationalism so far, again, I am waiting to be proven wrong. I'm waiting for it to change. You know, I, I'm not holding any of this tightly here is that it seems like the funding is really going towards trying to prove that Christian nationalism exists as a very violent ideology. It seems like that's where the funding is going right now. And when you start off with funding studies that way to try to prove a thing, that's actually really bad in scholarship. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Um, you're supposed to create hypotheses that are still questioning, like, does this exist and does this exist in this way? We studied over and over again to see if there are patterns to see if we can say that there there are correlations, you know, that sort of thing. Well, and I just, the Hidden Tribes survey is such a great example of, you know, they make such 
Um, uh, so so um, they make s- uh, such effort to frame all of their segments as positively as possible and like the the press release all of the all of the energy behind their research their purpose for doing it was and again this does get into the well this is like motivated research well yeah like hate to break it to folks but like huge huge majority of research especially in the think tank policy space is is uh is motivated um for hidden tribes it was motivated by a sense to um uh make the extremes as marginal as possible Mm -hmm. so the big takeaway of the hidden tribes uh study was something like you know there's six percent of the extreme on one side and eight percent on the other and they dominate the conversation but look there's this huge majority of like uh, of people who aren't the extremes and you know, shouldn't this be cause to move to this the center and even the extremes? You know, they they come from a certain place. Da, da, da. For all of the now, sometimes you'll get a you'll watch these panels on Christian nationalism, and again, there is a certain like duplicity to it. Where sometimes they'll say, "Well, we aren't saying that all of Christian nationalism is is bad. We're just defining terms." And it's just like, no, you can't. You can't do that. You can't be at. Michael, you can't be the at an times event. that I heard that in conversations when talking about Islamic extremism is too many. It's right. literally the same things repeating it's over crazy. again. It's crazy. Unbelievable. You and it's for a very serious, serious yes. issue that does exist and that you yes. and I are very concerned about. But we have to try to get it at least a bit right so that we're actually because that's the if. All of this matters so that when we are actually create, we are actually stewarding people in a way where politics has a healthy place in their life, where politics yes, is not yes, ultimate, yes, yes, yes. and where they are voting for their neighbor. Like we want to do all that, and so then when we sort of, you know take these types of approaches to an issue where it's sort of like a, we've already determined that, um, Christian nationalism means this thing, and it always means that it's going to turn towards violence. That is very bad for when it actually does. <laughs> so here's a great example. Melissa, we've talked about this, but we didn't talk about this before our recording, but I think this goes exactly to your point. Um, you, you've you worked in, in the... Um, uh, um, you've worked in the interfaith space for a long time. Yes. You've worked specifically on Islamophobia yes. and... And um, we won't sort of cite the source here. It was a private, um, it was in a private convening, although I think I've seen sort of parallel statements made publicly. But I'll never forget someone explaining, you you know, the way that the dialogue was set up Mm -hmm. from the Western sort of majority perspective, the sort of academic perspective Mm was, you know, you have these, uh, extremist, devout Muslims mm-hmm. who are a real problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what we need to do is um, the West needs to needs to promote a a, a modern, moderate uh, Islam 
Um, and uh, we, there, we don't have problems with a moderate Islam. And uh, I remember being in a in a conversation with a with a Muslim leader who said, um, who said, uh, what that suggests is that the true believers mm-hmm. are the extremists, mm-hmm. and for us to be acceptable, it doesn't mean moving closer to the heart of what we view to be the the heart of the Islamic faith. Uh, the message that's being sent is that the acceptable Muslims are those who are lukewarm, who don't mm-hmm. really believe it. And this conversation... And, say, and you'll talk to like pretty much literally any any Muslim across any spectrum, whatever spectrum you're measuring on, who will say modernism does not... like It's like a made-up term. Right. It's yeah, really yeah. insulting. Um, and what it does, again, is it places the religion at the forefront as being the problem when, you know... The there's no one way to radicalize, but then looking at radicalization into like again ISIS, ISIL, and it's just like no, it was just a tool, a channel. It was not the actual yes. whole thing. Like and it's just really problematic to do that, and I just see it repeating again. No, it's it, it and is. I could be proven there's wrong. a Maybe real. It's not going to be the thing. There's a real thing. danger in it happening here. Yeah, and my concern is that if. If the American, if if the options presented to Christians by this discourse, and frankly, I'd say by others, like it's important to note, you know, like the the national conservatism movement, the the right wing folks, uh, it's. Its leader is not Christian. He calls for a return to Christian, uh, like an embrace of America's Christianity. But he's not Christian himself. There, there. James Lindsay is one of is speaking at churches at political rallies, quote unquote Christian political rallies. He's an avowed atheist. And so, if the options presented to Americans are, um, you are, um, you either believe that uh, um, that uh, you, your f- you either believe that the Christian faith ought to influence uh, politics that the Bible is meaning a meaningful guide for 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 policy and should be taken seriously um, that this country has a Christian heritage uh, 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 and if you believe that, you're a, you're a Christian nationalist and anathema to to huge segments of the public discourse, uh, or you you don't believe the you don't believe these things. You don't think faith has a place in in public life. You don't think that uh, the Christian faith offers anything that would be helpful to society, and uh, and and. You're a constructive citizen. Uh, if those are the two choices, we're going to be we're going to be pressuring um, uh, huge swaths of Americans to to choose the former. If those are the only two options offered, if the option is to go back to the example of a moderate Islam, if the options are you can. Embrace your faith. You can embrace your Christian faith, or you need to kind of like understand that uh, you know it's a personal thing. Really doesn't mean anything. 
uh, when it comes to, to, to public life, public things, um, uh, that's going to be a real problem. And it's, it's going to undermine, again, some of the very things that those involved in the Christian nationalism conversation say that they want to oppose. Because these things are conflated. Now, if the choice is between uh, the tiki torches in Charlottesville or the people defecating in the U.S. House of Representatives, then that's a debate I want to have. That's, that's something uh, you don't need to go outside of Christian resources to argue against that. There is, in my view, no stronger argument against those kinds of behaviors than the Christian faith. Uh, the problem is, and this is where I'm, I'm going to beg li listeners to understand, um, there are a lot of different interests involved in this conversation. And I know that there are a lot of well-meaning folks who were disappointed and upset and angry and felt betrayed that evangelicals supported Trump. Uh, who feel like uh, they don't know what's happened to their faith. Uh, and Christian nationalist uh, uh, expression seems to be part of the problem. And I'm like there with you on, on those things. Um, what I'm going to ask you to consider is that it is not... It is not a good idea to say, well, let's just support this, this conversation in whatever, this Christian nationalism conversation in whatever form it takes. If it overreaches, if it, if it sweeps in Christians and Christian ideas and, and approaches that uh, uh, aren't violent, that are maybe... Uh, uh, ignorant, but not activated sort of politically, if it sweeps in a whole bunch of other stuff, it would be a mistake to say that that's acceptable collateral damage and we just need to defeat sort of the January 6th folks and then we'll worry about whether there was overreach. No. A, again, because I think the overreach will come to backfire. And, and B, there, there are forces that I think um, there, there, are, there are people in advocacy groups that want to use this conversation uh, to win arguments um, that I don't think a lot of people want them winning. Uh, it's, it's really significant to note that for all of the efforts that have been made to create a definition of Christian nationalism that is limited to white conservative Republicans researchers haven't been able to do it yet what they what they the best that they've been able to do is come up with definitions uh like like prri definitions of christian nationalists that include uh uh, uh 52 percent of other protestants of color that include 
that include 43% of Hispanic Protestants, that include 38% of Black Protestants, that include 38% of Latter-day Saints. And so their definitions include these groups. And then what they'll say is, well, we're not concerned about we're not concerned about that because the political expressions are different. At which point I say, well, it sounds like it's the politics that you're really trying to get at, not these five statements that, you're, that, that you created. And then number two, go to the Twitter page of the Secular Coalition of America. Go to the press releases for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Uh, they they aren't narrowly focused on January 6th. No, if you go to the page of Secular Coalition of America, you'll find them attacking historically black denominations based on research around Christian nationalism and, and, uh, um, and approval polls of, of Christians. You go to Freedom From Re Religion Foundation and you'll find right alongside they're like, dozens of press releases on every Christian nationalism survey that comes out. I think they have four or five press releases just about this PRI research, which, again, should indicate something. Um, you'll also find uh, Freedom From Religion Foundation bragging for filing a lawsuit against Barack Obama uh, for uh, his, his Christian nationalism, uh, uh, so to speak. So... Uh, again, there's a as as we've both said, uh, th there are Christian nationalism. What what we're what I think is the best sort of definition, most precise definition of it. Um, that itself is a real problem. And then what I think should be separate from a conversation about Christian nationalism. Not everything has to. Not everything bad has to be Christian nationalism, and Christian nationalism doesn't have to be everything bad. Uh, there are real problems with the religious right <laughs> that do not necessarily fall under Christian nationalism, though a lot of the same progressive advocacy groups that have been trying to defeat the religious right are now using Christian nationalism to play out the same arguments that they've been having for the last thirty years. I'm just saying, let's just. Let's just continue to have those arguments and, and not put everything onto this Christian nationalism conversation. Um, so my, my plea is um, br bring a critical eye to, to this. Um, just because you see folks critiquing, using the banner of Christian nationalism to critique things that you disagree with doesn't mean that everything else that they're using the the term Christian nationalism uh, is is worthy of the same level of condemnation, or or maybe as worthy of condemnation at all, or worthy of critique at all. Um, this has become a behemoth uh, in which uh, it, uh, it has become a a a a a vehicle for the playing out of the culture wars in ways that um that, that are just not helpful Melissa yeah the two 
two last things that I want to say, and then we have a couple of um, questions that we have not answered yet and what we've said from, from listeners. Two things is that there was a Harvard study um, just this past year that studied the, I think it's four, uh, 416, four, 417 capital rioters. So 400, they studied 417 people um, who were part of the January 6th insurrection to ask what were their motives. And those motives were derived from 469 documents filed to the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, including the charging documents in, this, in the sentencing memoranda. And far and away, they found that the two most commonly cited reasons for actually being in, you know, participating in this insurrection was the desire to support Trump on January 6th in D.C. and concerns about election election integrity. Um, and then a couple other reasons that showed up a little bit was um, they entered the Capitol because of the belief that they were participating in a revolution, a civil war, or secession. Um, and some of them claimed that they were there to peacefully protest, and a few others said that it was, it was a general interest in violence. So in all of those, in like the top whatever, you know, four or five reasons, you don't see religious reasons at all. But we do know that religious symbolism symbolism was there. We yep. do know that speeches were made invoking um, uh, Christian ideals or Christian language, scripture. We know all that was there. So, you know, you take a study like this and because we're constantly saying January 6th is the reason why we want to, you know, look right. at Christian nationalism more. Right. Even the leading argument for why Christian nationalism is bad, Christian nationalism can... Uh, at maximum, be described as a factor. Not yes, and so that's why I say that it's so important to look at it this way. And this is obviously only looking at like the documents sent to the court about what they were telling officials about why they were there, like in official like interviews, is that I want more studies to come out over the next few years where they find these 417 writers, actually talk to them, get dig down a bit of like, well, you know, why why do you have a general interest in violence? Why would you give that answer? And see, you know, where their, their Christian identity comes into it, if they even have one, and not all of them will, obviously, um, out of the 417, but the ones who do, like, where does it show up and how does it show up? Like, I'm very interested in yes. those things because we know it's at play. Again, we want to repeat, we know this is an issue, we know this is at play. Michael and I think this is deeply important, um, but we want to, you know, Dig a bit deeper. And then the second thing is, is that on the definitional side of things, a really, really great interview showed up in Sojourners just a couple of months ago with um, with uh, Philip Gorski and um, Sam Perry about their latest Interview book. conducted by friend of the pod, Mitchell Atencio. Yeah, it's a great interview asking them about how the are best, they... The best interview I've seen on Christian nationalism, yeah. By far. So I really commend that to you because I think it's a fantastic interview. If you want to dive deeper into um, two scholars in the field, how they're defining things, how they're thinking about things, and you'll see so much nuance in what they yes. say in the interview. That's, which the, is th- just that's missing. the thing. Yeah. And it's not their fault no. that it's missing from the public conversation. <laughs> right. It's just not that, you know. It's just not there. Um, but like, they're doing their job. They're yes. communicating it. It's just not being taken up. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to point out those two things. And then... Um, a couple of questions that we haven't just quite answered yet, but I think are really interesting, is um, we had several questions about how do you differentiate between like Christian nationalism and patriotism? Yeah, and I think that's a. I think a lot of people are asking that. So in general. So um, yeah. So. I'm not going to be able to give like an academic definition. What I will say are two things. One, 
uh, uh, patriotism can refer to general a love, dedication to, reverence for, appreciation for uh, uh, one's country and what it stands for in one's own mind. So one can be patriotic about uh, America because of the American dream. You could be patriotic of America because uh, because it's a land of um, immigrants. <laughs> you, you could be patriotic of America uh, because of its role in World War II. So patriotic is a patriotism is a is a is a feeling. It 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 is a kind of affection. Um, uh, it, it becomes associated with certain kinds of policies. So there's a correlation between someone who I who would identify as very patriotic and their support for the military, for instance. Uh, but but patriotism is 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 generally, in my view, uh, a feeling, an affection. Uh, nationalism. And I should say, one could be patriotic about one's own, uh, one's country, um, and that doesn't necessarily entail how one views other countries, how one views people from other countries, and and how one views uh, what national policy should be regarding other countries. So I think of like Melissa, like. The French are both <laughs> extremely patriotic, and yet the standard bearers, the 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 um, the, uh, the the incubators, the sustainers of the European Union, which is this sort of transnational. Yep. Um, and so, so I think that's one good way to think about uh, uh, patriotism versus. Nationalism, Na- nationalism uh, is um, comes with much greater implications for w- what one's sense of what a nation is and how it relates to other nations and people. So, patriotism is not necessarily associated with a "my country first" mentality, and nationalism is associated with. Uh, a my my country first uh, mentality. Now I will say I think it's like um, I think we need to be you know we need to be careful about even uh, collapsing all forms of nationalism into sort of one sort of boogeyman. Um, I think that I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that there are. Uh, positive or desirable forms of nationalism, but there are certainly forms of nationalism that are more desirable than others. <laughs> but Melissa, I'm interested in what what you'd have to what you'd have to add to that. Yeah, nationalism, patriotism t- tends to stay 
sorry to bring up like sort of locality again, but patriotism tends to be something that is very individualized, whereas nationalism that's a is, great way of is, putting it. Yeah, is as 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 nationalism would say is national. It's a part it's a part of a bigger viewer, bigger picture of what a nation is. Whereas patriotism is sort of something that you hold individually. Usually, obviously, there are exceptions there, but nationalism. Um, it if I would say that. When people, people who are more nationalist than patriotic, a nationalist would have more definitions around like what kind of policies are actually entailed and like what kind of politics are entailed. Whereas someone who is patriotic will maybe have some more opinions on like the military and like, you know, honoring our troops and stuff. But like that's as far as like any kind of like bigger thinking or bigger picture would go. Um just to keep that, not to go into like sort of academic terms here, Melissa, but keep it a little would bit you, more simple. Would you agree? And I'm just thinking of this, so I might, yeah, I up? might say it, and then uh, you know we might finish up the podcast, and and I'll say, oh no, that's I should have thought of you know this argument. This is dumb. But would you, would you agree? Just sort of like uh, talking out loud here, mm-hmm. that it's um, it's necessary to be patriotic in order to be a nationalist, but it's not necessary to be a nationalist in order to be patriotic. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a rectangle is square, but a square is a rectangle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, so, I'll, I, think, I'll think about yeah, that more. Yeah, chew, yeah, chew, on, chew on that, folks. Like my, my instinct is, yeah. <laughs> I'd be interested in, uh, I'm not sort of like uh, publishing this anytime soon, but just... Uh, I, I, I wonder if if that rings true to our listeners that uh, uh, you don't uh, you need to be patriotic in order to be a nationalist. In other words, you need to have some sort of like affection for the nation in order to want to be a nationalist. But you don't need to be a nationalist in order to uh, in order to have affection for uh, for for your nation. So we'll leave you to chew on that little syllogism and uh we could talk for another three hours on the subject uh i there were some other really great questions but we are uh we're just about to hit the uh hour 15 mark and so uh actually we're past the hour 15 mark and so uh i think what we'll do is to ask you if this was helpful to you, uh, let us know. If this, if a, a longer form episode, if a deep dive on one topic, if specifically talking about Christian nationalism was helpful uh, to you, let us know because that'll that'll help inform uh, what we do moving forward, and uh, and we'll know if the listen rate is lower than usual. Not to do this again. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to look at those statistics and see if people dropped off after minute 40. <laughs> but um, Apologies. But we felt we, we get questions about this topic all the time. Many of you have requested an episode on Christian nationalism. And as Melissa said, we just kind of, we, we didn't feel the, 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 the impetus to, to do so was, was uh, right until till recent, recent weeks. So here we are. Here we are. Where we are, <laughs> uh, friends. Thank you, uh, thank you for uh, listening. Uh, always a joy uh, to be with you. I, I I will just close by 
emphasizing, re-emphasizing, um, we do have serious, serious problems in our politics, some of which do People who identify as Christians contribute to many of those problems as both a practical matter, as a strategic matter, and most importantly to me, as just a matter of fact, of reality. Um, the answer to these problems is to walk more deeply and take more seriously the teachings of Jesus and life with Jesus uh, than anything else. And so I would encourage you to take your concerns, take your lament, Take your desire for action and for change. Take those things to Jesus. He knows what to do with those things better than anyone else. And, uh, and I have a great faith um, that when we do that, we'll be making great strides towards the kind of change that we seek. All right, friends, that's all we have for you uh, this weekend. Uh, we'll be back with the Morning Five on Monday. Until then, thanks for listening to Where We Are. Bye! <laughs> Always forgetting.